Investment products are not FDIC-insured, not a bank guarantee, and may lose value. Please read other important information, which can be found on the link at the end of the podcast episode. Good morning, and this is the Eye on the Market podcast for May 30th, 2018. Just a brief podcast this week on issues related to China versus the U.S. and some broader thoughts on emerging markets. Um, you know, there are some people in the administration that believe that it's possible to gain the upper hand in a trade war when you're the country that's doing all the importing, um, believing that that gives you leverage because the other side's got a lot to lose in terms of their exports. In a theoretical world, maybe, but not the world we live in where things are more complicated. Over the last decade, U.S. companies have made a lot of investments in their Chinese subsidiaries. And if you include in the concept of the trade deficit – the in-country sales of subsidiaries, the U.S. trade deficit almost disappears. In other words, U.S. companies are doing almost as much business in China as Chinese companies are doing in the U.S., but through their subsidiaries rather than, by, rather than via exports. And Apple, Intel, Qualcomm, Boeing, Micron, Broadcom, Texas Instruments, those are examples of some of the companies with the largest Chinese sales. And um, these, are co these companies have some of the largest uh, investments in China. They're some of the largest employers in the U.S. and capital spenders in the U.S. And their shares are held very widely in defined benefit and defined contribution plans. So uh, this is um, – the U.S. I think has more to lose in a trade war uh, than some people in the administration may think. The, the, the trade war uh, is, is just one part of a broader uh, – rivalry between China and the U.S. And I just wanted to spend a minute on something I've been working on for the last few months. There are some that believe that uh, Chinese-U.S. military conflict, not just a trade war, but military conflict is inevitable. And in a survey that was done last year uh, by an organization of prominent Chinese-Americans, around one-third of Chinese business leaders and policy experts thought that U.S. A war with the U.S. was very likely or somewhat likely a shooting war. And um, uh, maybe, but uh, there's a lot of economic pressure on China and the U.S. to find common ground. And what we did, and you can see this in, this in this week's Eye on the Market, we looked at adversaries of the past 100 years and at the linkages between them. We looked at things like bilateral trade, we looked at bilateral foreign direct, foreign direct investment and we looked at uh, bilateral central bank holdings of the other country's debt. And uh, the economic linkages between the U.S. and China today uh, dwarfs the linkages between France and Germany uh, and the U.K. and Germany in the 30s, between China and Japan in the 1930s, between the U.S. and Russia in the 1980s and certainly dwarf the relationship between uh, the U.S. Um, and Iran and India and Pakistan and things like that. So uh, when you look at the magnitude of these economic linkages, uh, I'm not by nature an optimist, but uh, they do suggest to me that there's a lot of pressure to find some kind of compromise and, uh, and avoid a shooting war or a full-blown trade war. As for emerging markets, they outperformed developed markets by 20% in 2016, 2017, and are now underperforming by 2 to 3%. So they're giving back around a tenth of the outperformance of the last couple of years. 
I do find it interesting uh, that there's so much discussion about Argentina and Turkey. Um, Argentina is not even in the emerging markets equity index. It was thrown out a few years ago and moved into a frontier index alongside Lebanon and, and Kenya. And, and Turkey only has a 1% weight in the index. So um, the, the it does – there is some pressure obviously on emerging markets with rising interest rates and rising dollar and rising oil prices. But uh, when you look at the degree to which Argentina and Turkish fundamentals are, are affecting the headlines, I think there's a little bit too much um, focus on those two countries. Uh, and the sell-off in the rest of the countries has been somewhat – somewhat orderly, uh, which is a sign of a little bit of a maturing market. Uh, as a reminder, uh, now that there's so much discussion about Argentina, as I mentioned, it's not even in the emerging market equity universe that most managers invest in. It spent the last three years borrowing a ton of money uh, and it's defaulted on its international debt seven times since its independence in 1816. And one of the things that we show here uh, in the piece this week is a cluster model that shows just how risky and different Argentina is for investors. We look at competitiveness, regulation, investor protections, labor markets, ease of doing business, and we plot all the large countries in the world on this little map. Uh, and the, the closer countries are to each other, uh, the more similar they are. And Argentina is, is off in the stratosphere on the fringes of this chart near countries like Bangladesh, Zimbabwe, Ethiopia, and Pakistan. Um, and again, just as a reminder, this is looking at things like property rights, government regulation, judicial independence, pay and productivity in the labor force, ease of doing business, economic freedoms. And um, so I, I, I think people should keep in mind that Argentina is a little bit of a special case here uh, and not indicative of the fundamentals in terms of external borrowing or current account uh, uh, financing risk of the rest of the EM universe. Only in a world of financial repression by central banks pushing down rates could a country like Argentina have issued a 100-year bond, which they did last year and which was oversubscribed. Um, that bond's down 15 to 20 percent from its peak a few months ago. And there's echoes here from 2001 when Argentina also issued new debt just a few months before defaulting on it. Uh, my wife Rachel ran uh, J.P. Morgan's Emerging Market Capital markets division back then, and she led the syndicate that originated that set of bonds. I was a buy-side investor at the time and gave her some grief about it, but she has since retired. So if you bought the 100-year Argentine bond issued last year, you're on your own. Thanks for listening and um, look forward to speaking to you next time. Michael Semblist's Eye on the Market offers a unique perspective on the economy, current events, markets, and investment portfolios, and is a production of J.P. Morgan Asset and Wealth Management. Michael Semblist is the Chairman of Market and Investment Strategy for J.P. Morgan Asset Management and is one of our most renowned and provocative speakers. For more information, please subscribe to the Eye on the Market by contacting your J.P. Morgan representative. If you'd like to hear more, please explore episodes on iTunes or on our website. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and is a communication on behalf of J.P. Morgan Institutional Investments Incorporated, a member of FINRA and SIPC. Views may not be suitable for all investors and are not intended as personal investment advice or as a solicitation or recommendation. Outlooks and past performance are never guarantees of future results. This is not investment research. 
please read other important information, which can be found at www.jpmorgan.com slash disclaimer dash EOTM.